Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Good evening, good evening, good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us tonight on Stop Child Abuse Now. We are on scan number 3071. If you'd like to be a part of our panel discussion tonight, please make sure to give us a call at 646-595-2118. My name is Dr. Nancy. I'm your host for tonight, and I am with my wonderful co-host, Ms. Victoria Kelly. Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm going to get started before we introduce our wonderful guest tonight, who's uh, Miss Angie Baker. Uh, I'll start with the mission statement. Uh, we have a single purpose at NASCA, to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violence or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Thank you all for joining us tonight on Stop Child Abuse Now radio show. We are so grateful to have you all here and for your support. Again, we're on scan number 3071, and the number to call in is 646-595-2118. The website is stop, what is it? I'm sorry, nasa.org. All right. Thank you, Victoria. You can take over. Okay, um, we're welcoming our special guest tonight, uh, Angie Baker from Lexington, Kentucky, a NASCA family member who serves as our Kentucky, Kentucky I can't say the word, sorry, Kentucky ambassador. I just got a new tongue tonight. <laughs> Angie estimates she was sexually abused over a thousand times between age two and 11 by her uncle, her dad's brother. Um, her mom saw these assaults but did nothing to help. And in fact, she was physically and emotionally um, abusive to her daughter. As she grew older, Angie became a promiscuous teenager and was forced to have an abortion by her boyfriend. 
Thought I was Dandy Hall for being sexual before marriage, she says. She began to drink and get high to deal with her feelings. Angie met her husband after her school and shares that in her 20s, she confronted her family in a positive way. At 21, she had her tubes tied because she was afraid she couldn't be a good mother. At one point, she was misdiagnosed and was given medication for schizophrenia for two years. It took 11 tries to find the right doctor to treat her. And in her late 20s, she was diagnosed with PTSD. At this point, she cut off contact with her mom and dad, but reestablished a relationship in her 30s, participating in family therapy. Um, she concentrated on raising her son, but in her 40s, her husband had to burn down the garage um, and house, making mess. Uh, as the chaos continued, her father passed away, and her own, own family broke up. She was run out of town. Today, Angie describes herself as uh, serenely abnormal, which I'm sure resonates with other adult survivors of child abuse and trauma. Welcome, Angie. That's quite the bio. We're sure glad you're on the show. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us, Angie. And uh, many of us can relate uh, to your words. They resonate definitely deeply. Miss Angie, Miss Angie Baker. Um, I think she's uh, muted. Yeah, I just un- I'm tr- there. We go. Okay. Hi, Miss Angie. Hello. Hi. Did you get a chance to hear the bio read? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us tonight, and thank you so much for being so brave. And you know, being a voice, voiceless, and sharing your testimony. Um, happy to be here and happy to share my voice. Yeah, and thank you so much again for um for your courage. And so sorry that you had to endure all this trauma. Just want you to know that. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So, um, I normally I like to just start a little bit with the beginning part of it. Um, Where are you? You said you're originally from uh, Kentucky? No, Ohio. Okay, so you're originally from Ohio, but right now you live in Kentucky? Correct. Um, Who did you grow up with in in, uh, Ohio? My family, my three older brothers, my mom and dad. Okay. So your parents were married? Yes, they were. Okay. You had three older brothers, so you were the baby? Yes. Okay. So how was it growing up with your um, older brothers and being the youngest one, being the baby? Were you treated like the baby of the family? Most times I was, yes. Um, my brothers were also abusers. Mm. Okay. So um, I know here it says, like, that some of the abuse started between age 2 and 11. Do you remember the abuse, like, at that age, around two years old? I don't remember not being abused. Mm. I really Mm -hmm. don't. Right. So... Um, we guess, my therapist and I, I guess it started around two years old, maybe earlier. 
Mm-hmm. And it was my dad and my brothers and my uncle. Okay, so you remember, um, like, around that time being abused even by your dad? Yeah. I don't remember at two years old, but I remember. I remember, you know, like I said, I don't remember not being abused. So do you um, remember, like, how it started as far as your brothers went? And the reason I'm asking this is because many of us have been abused by family members. And, you know, a lot of times parents, sometimes they're aware, sometimes they're trying to blind die, and sometimes they're not aware. And so we're trying to also educate people as to, so they can pay attention that this stuff can happen at home right underneath your own nose. Oh, my parents knew. Yeah. So do you, rec- do you remember, like, a situation that happened where, I mean, you can go as wherever you feel comfortable going with it. Or like, is there, like, a certain time, like, maybe you were – in the living room eating, I'm going to dining room eating, they would babysit you. How did they get access to you in that manner? Without, with, were the adults in the room? Did they see the abuse? Or when you told they ignored it, like, how can you describe this a little there bit? There were times that they walked in and saw it happening and did nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't expect my dad to because he was also doing it as well. Um, I was shocked that my mom didn't do anything, but she didn't. Okay, so she's the one, she walked in before and it was being in a Yeah, a few times. Was there domestic abuse in that, the household as well? Was your mother no. being abused? Okay. No. Curious on that, yeah. Sometimes that's going on as well. Yeah, it's hard to understand why mothers or either parent doesn't protect their child when they know this abuse is going on. It's it's just mind blowing. I'm really sorry about this. Right. It's yeah. okay. Right. I've so come now, a long way in my healing. Yeah. Yeah, thank God. I'm I'm glad to hear that you've come a long way in your recovery and your healing. Um, So now when it came to, did you ever have an adult that you can tell, like, that the abuse was happening or a friend, maybe a friend at school or somebody, a neighbor? No, I was told not to tell anyone or there would be, you know, a lot of consequences if I told so. I didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times they do that. They threaten, they threaten you and tell you not to tell. And as a child, you know, when you grow up hearing that and hearing that all the time, you start to believe that that's normal and you're not supposed And, you you know, you pretty much have this, uh, you're sworn into this secrecy to protect them. And, you know, as a child, you don't know. You're just, I mean, it must be scary. I wanted to tell. I was just afraid to. I didn't want to get the consequences. Right. Did they um, ever beat you up? Like any of these abusers ever beat you up, or was it just the yeah? Threat? My my um, all my brothers would beat me up all the time. 
My uncle used to beat me up. My dad never did. Uh, my mom was very violent with all four of us. I'm sorry, your phone just went out a little bit. What happened with all four of you? My brothers used to beat me up all the time, and my uncle beat me up, and uh, my mom was just very violent with us. Mm-hmm. So your mom used to um, beat you guys too, all of you? Yeah. The blood would show up. Did they ever protect you against them for for any type of abuse at all, like whether it was yelling at you, beating you, <clears throat> or anything at all? Like, do you remember them no. ever? picking up for you? No, just um, outside of the house um, mm-hmm. in school or anything, you know, they protected me if anybody started trouble with me. Mm. But, I mean, we looked normal on the outside, very normal on the outside. Mm. But nobody knew what was going on inside the house. Right. So you, so did you ever, I know that like, um, and this is a very sensitive topic to have to have gone through, but did you ever, when you started getting a little older, tell like a friend, like confide in someone, like a girlfriend or someone? Um, did when I was about 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. But nobody knew, you know, nobody did anything or said anything to help me. Okay. Did you ever used to hear those words, what happens in this house stays in this house or anything like that in particular? No, I was just told, you know, there would be a lot of consequences. Got it. So around what time did you date? Um, when you were a teenager, or do you wait till you were yes, a little I bit did. old? Okay. So how was that when you had your first boyfriend? How was that for um, you? It was, I played it off and was pretty normal. You know, I, I, I was pretty good at being normal outside of the house, except for, you know, I was a, I was a troublemaker and. But I never got in a lot of trouble. I used to just get into fights and stuff with people. Oh, used to fight people? Yeah. Okay. Were you the normally the aggressor or were people bullying yeah. you? Or did you, re- like, release your anger on others? Like how No, did you I released my anger on other people. Oh, okay, so you would be, like, just... Outside I'll be the house. like the bully. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. It said, it said also that um, that you um, drank and got high. Um, when did you start using? I'm curious. Drugs or In alcohol? In my teens, you know, maybe fourteen, fifteen. Mhm. How are you uh, introduced? How are you introduced to them? My brothers. I'm just curious because I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. I've used most of my life. Well, not most of my life. I'm in recovery, but okay. I was just curious um, how people get. I just did it through high life. school. Yeah. And like as a social yeah. thing or with peers? Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. I noticed in your bio it says that you were promiscuous, and I tell you, I don't really like I don't really like that word because usually women and uh, children and gay men are called promiscuous, and like straight men aren't called promiscuous. <laughs> they're like, you know, right? No, they're not. Yeah, so you know, so I was just wondering if you could give more behind that um, about maybe what your feelings were that um, if you were, you know, sexual um, in ways that that could be labeled promiscuous. But again, I said I don't like that word um, because I think there's a lot of reasons that um, we be we we come to that point in our lives. Um, I just. I didn't really care much mm-hmm. about my own body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, if there's any questions that we ask you, you have every, you know, right uh, to say, hey, I don't want to answer that. <laughs> you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I just want to make sure. So you said that, um, you know, you did talk about um, the drinking and the um, and the using drugs what type of drugs did you use did you find at that time just marijuana mm-hmm. and you said it was from your brothers did they used to leave it around or did they used to try to entice you with it like uh, the first time I used it was I caught them smoking it and they made me smoke it oh they did introduce you like they they did it with you yeah did your parents know about that no. Okay. No, they never knew. They still don't know to this day. My dad's passed on, but they never knew. Did you see, you said that they made you do it? Was that to keep you quiet? Yep. That they were. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, that happens a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much every time I caught them doing anything that would get them in trouble, they made me participate. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't tell. Yeah. Mhm. It's yeah, very manipulative, right? And abusive. Mhm. So my um, did you? I know um, you said that you became um promiscuous. Did you have a boyfriend, or were you dating multiple people at one time? Like, what made you feel like you were getting out of control with it? Honestly, I don't think I ever felt like I was out of control. Looking back, I know I was, but in the moment, I didn't think I was. Mm-hmm. Right. I just, I think that I thought that's how I would get attention mm-hmm. um, and make people like me. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, that's yeah, I had the time the experience where where I I just didn't care either, and I I don't know I felt like I was put on this earth to sexually satisfy men. It just seemed like the only thing I knew I could do, and uh, I drank and got high too. Which, you know, then I wasn't having really any feelings, and I actually had the illusion that I had power, you know, um, in that exactly. situation. And it took until adulthood to like sort that all out. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I thought the same way. I think I think it made me feel like I had power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I know you um, were talking about, you know, you ended up, um, you did get married. So did you get married at a young age? Yeah. Um, I met my husband just two weeks after high school. And, um, you know, I fell in love and uh, it was real. And we were together for 25 years until he turned to doing math. And then I had to leave him because of it. How did you find out he was doing math? I mean, that's a shocker, especially if it you're... Was a, yeah. It was a big shocker. Yeah. It it really rocked my world a lot. I um, I didn't know how to handle it. You know, I just uh, kept so going to therapy. The and... You were going to therapy at the time? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've been in therapy you... since I was 18. I'm just, I'm not in it mm-hmm. now, only because yeah. I'm just taking a break. Right, right. We have to do that once in a while, for sure. So, so you were um, going to therapy, and then, um, so were you able to deal with the feelings that were coming up with, with having, um, being married to somebody that was doing meth? I mean, that that's really <sighs> a lot. <laughs> it was uh, devastating. It was probably one of the most devastating things in my life. Is that when you started to get like some real help, do you think? Or was it? Um, uh, was it very yeah. productive? When I was finally diagnosed with the right diagnosis, it really made a big difference in my recovery and the direction the recovery went and the things that happened during therapy were a lot different. Once I was told I didn't have schizophrenia, um, it made a big change in my life because, you know, for a couple of years I lived with that thinking I had it. Yeah, and the medications are completely different for schizophrenia as far as people. And yeah. PTSD are completely different. I mean, people that have PTSD yeah. that are on medication for schizophrenia and it, it's not what they need is can be really mind-boggling to what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, it made me get my tubes tied. Um, I wanted a whole bunch of kids. I, you know, I wanted to be a mom and a wife, and I wanted a bunch of kids. But when I was told I had schizophrenia, I went and learned about it and I thought, you know, there's no way I'll be able to take care of the the one I got, let alone the ones I want. Right. So you mm-hmm. said that later on here you said you um um concentrated on uh raising your son. So um how did that come about then if you had your tube tied? Well I was um nineteen when I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Or 18 oh. when I got pregnant, 19 when I had him. Oh, and then okay. I got my tubes tied at, I think I was around 20 or 21, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, my doctor didn't want to do it, but 
but I talked him into it, you know, thinking I had schizophrenia. And right. I showed him notes from the psychiatrist, and then he agreed. You know, he, I remember him telling me that he, I didn't show any signs of it to him, but this is my OB that tied my tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be very confusing. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most disappointing things in my life because I wanted a bunch of children mm-hmm. and being only able to have one. Mm-hmm. It made a big difference. How was parenting a child, especially a son, after uh, being abused by by men and brothers and well, the only difference that it made, I mean, um, when I was pregnant with my son, I was afraid that I wouldn't love a boy if I had was going to have a boy. Um, mm-hmm. But the second that, you know, I gave birth to him, it was all different. And raising him was the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Yeah. You know, he's a wonderful man today. He's 31 years old. Mm-hmm. And he's a wonderful yep. person. I couldn't be more proud of him. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, because I think a lot of people think if you're abused, you're going to abuse your kids. And, you know, um, the statistics might might be there. But the thing is, is that they're only taking the statistics off the people that have been abusive to their kids. They're not, you know, the ones that aren't, aren't. And and they don't know they've been you know abused and then they you know because it's not like everybody tells that they're they've been abused and then they have children that grow up healthy and you know that like you said you love and you care for those statistics are not being recorded so it it breaks my heart when people think that because you were abused you're going to be a bad parent and I think for me it was like I went completely the other direction I got parenting classes and everything because I did not want that to happen you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I read a lot of books and I talked to my therapist a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just made sure that I knew when I was young, when I was a young girl, that I wanted to be a good wife and a good mom. And I always knew I would be. And, uh, you know, I was going to change the cycle that I grew up in. Yep. Break the cycle of abuse. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's not easy to do, but it it can be done, and that's a good message to let people out there know, you know, not only survivors of abuse, but also the general public, you know, to just know that, that you know, there can be change. Yes, I was, a, for a long time, I was afraid that I would just, like, maybe have blackouts or something and be abusive, but... Mm-hmm. You know, that never happened, and um, I'm thankful for that. But, yeah, there were a lot of times I thought, you know, what if? What if I just become an abuser just because I was abused? But it was just thoughts in my head. It was never anything that would come to pass. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So now when you got older, did you ever find yourself fighting or having lash outs 
I know you said when you were younger you were fully, you know, that's the way you hey, you were dealing with all that suppressed anger. Did you find yourself fighting, lashing out when you were an adult um, as well? Just to my husband, not to anybody else. Mm-hmm. No, I never um, really even argued with many people at all. Um, but I was mean to my husband sometimes, and I would lash out at him. Was you at? Um, was it you that initiated it, or was it a reaction to something else that was going on? It was on? usually a reaction to something he had done. Mm-hmm. I never, it never yeah. just, I never just started anything with him. Yeah, it was so usually like a reaction to something he was. Yeah, yeah I was not the bully. Yeah. Then my. Uh, Getting pregnant and being a mom and a wife changed my whole life. How did it change your life? Oh, because I knew, you know, then I had a, a purpose to live for and a purpose to do good and that was what I did. That's what I focused on. Right. So um, how was your relationship with your family when you became a mom? Um, at first it was really good. Um, it was really good, and then... You know, there was a time when I had to separate from them and not go around them or talk to them for a long time um, while I was doing some really deep healing. But I've always, you know, I have forgiven my family. Um, Honestly, I think I had forgiven them way before I ever realized I did. I know you, you said that you guys ended up doing, like, a family therapy session. Was it with who was in the family session? No, not like a family therapy session. Um, my uh, <clears throat> my dad eventually admitted, you know, what he had done, and he went to therapy himself and he was truly sorry and I believe he was with all my heart there's you know no, nothing that makes me think any different he was truly sorry at what he had done um, I had asked him to go to my therapist with me and then he said he would think about it he said give him some time to think about it and just a few weeks later, he died of a massive heart attack. Mm. Well, did you find closure in that area? Yeah, actually, I did. Um, I mean, I still I miss him a lot, but I remember at his funeral was the first time I ever laid my head on his chest and felt safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot of closure. 
just being able to feel like a real daughter. What about your brothers? Did they ever get any kind of help? Or did you ever um, at any point confront them? Oh, yeah. I confronted my whole family. Um, one of them got help. One of them is in total denial. And the other is so far gone on drugs and alcohol. I don't... Uh, I pray for him all the time. I don't... He has really bad... PTSD and um, not that I should be diagnosing people, but um, he has borderline personality disorder and it really, he will not talk about that with his therapist. He's also got PTSD um, also from the military. And he has a lot of everyday struggles that do you think that, sorry, interrupt you. Paul, oh, do you okay. think abused? Do you think that they ever went through sexual abuse themselves when they were younger? Yeah, they were. They were definitely abused. Yeah, they all three were. Um, now, was that by your father as well, or do you know who their perpetrators were? Mm. They don't really talk about that much. Like I said, my one brother, my oldest brother, is in total denial. He will tell you that he had a perfect childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two just choose not to talk about it. But you said that they were also physically abused by by your mother. Yeah. And just that. Not, I don't like the word just. Because any abuse of a child is not okay, and uh, we don't really compare because in Africa, because all abuse is not okay, and uh, it can have, you know, the same sorts of effects, um, all kinds of abuse, and I always say, and neglect, because a lot of people, even though it is child abuse, a lot of people don't see it as that, so I always add child abuse and neglect, um, and, you know, just not being there for your children and not protecting them. That That's very neglectful on top of the abuse, you know, and the yeah, emotional. Yeah, was very neglectful in that way. But, you know, outside of the home, you, they were not. Um, you know, they mm-hmm. were coaches. Um, <laughs> they were members of the PTA. They were on the school committees. Yeah, yeah. My biological father was, yeah, out there in the community, and the family thought he was fantastic, and the community thought he was fantastic, the church thought he was fantastic, and everybody, mm-hmm. but, you know, seemed to keep that piece of himself <laughs> to me, for me, but I didn't realize he'd been abusing men, women, and children all his life. I didn't hear that until we went to, um, started, uh, prosecuting him when I escaped after I was 21 started coming out through my mom because she knew him all her life and she started you know 
telling the prosecuting people what, you know, what he was really like. But, but he kept, you know, he kept that separate, his abuse, from what he showed other people. Like you said, what's going on behind closed doors. People just, they just don't know about it. What do you think would have helped you as a child to, to be able to tell somebody? Do you think there would have been something if maybe something would have been talked about in the schools or some kind of intervention? Do you think there could have been? Or would you have any ideas on what we could do today to help protect, you know, children that might be going through the same situation um, to get them well, intervention? Well, I don't, I don't know about in my case, but certainly in every other child in the world, yeah, we need to educate them more that it's there's people that will help them and they can tell and can take them out of the abuse. Um, I think it's not talked about enough. You know, it's not talked about in schools and stuff like that. It's usually just found out sometimes through, you know, people telling on this neglectful family or something, but yeah, for every other kid in the world, definitely there needs to be more education and they need to know that they're safe to tell an adult and the adult is going to help take action and help them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have helped me or not. Um, yeah. Actually, I'm glad I still have my family. I'm glad I was not taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time when they didn't want me around and things like that, but that was okay with me, um, you know, because I knew they would realize, and they did, that they missed me and they wanted me in their lives. Mhm. Mhm. Once you, once you cut off um, contact with them, did they did they try to contact you and engage you back into the family when you no. uh, said about that you didn't want to? So you were the one no. that went back and yes, initiated the contact. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you? Um, Ever when you gave birth, when you had your son, do you ever have a hard time connecting at any point with my son? Yeah, like when you no. first had your child no. or anything. No, no, not at all. I was no. I was given exactly what God wanted me to have. Mm-hmm. So, did you feel like you needed to protect him? Like, yeah, were you more protective of, of course. Him? Yes, I was very protective. I was, you know, made sure he was educated and, you know, mm-hmm. made sure that he knew it was safe to tell mom and dad if anything went wrong at all. Um did my best to, you know, raise him as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have a very close relationship today. Yeah, that's important for parents to know if they have been abused yeah. that, that like you said, they can make a difference and they can teach your children that, that it's safe to come to them. 
And I think we need to do more education with parents, too. I meet a lot of parents, you know, and, and I tell about NASCA for survivors, and if they're a survivor, they'll talk to me about that. They're a parent. I also tell them that NASCA has, you know, information on the website for parents, yes. and a lot of people don't mm-hmm. give out that information. But I meet a lot of parents. Um, I, I'm in, you know, AA, and um, mm-hmm. I've been sober for 36 years. Well, all I really have is this moment, you know, because it's all any of us have. And, uh, but I meet a lot of, lot of survivors that um, um, haven't told anybody that I talk about it in meetings and I talk about it when I speak. And I have a lot of people come up to me and say, I couldn't stay sober and this is why, because I haven't been able to talk about it with anybody, you know, but I trust you. And, and that is just powerful to me, that somebody walks up to you and says, I trust you because of something you shared. And and I think mm-hmm. that's what NASCA members are doing is, you know, speaking out and, and people in the community or the people we connect with um, know that we are safe and uh, we invite them, you know, be part of the NASCA family. And to me, that is so heartwarming. And I seem to believe that it happens one person at a time. At least that's the way it's been with me, the connection, you know. Right. And it. It's a miracle <laughs> to find somebody that, because I, I believe for so many years that that nobody would understand. Nobody would, you know, because I just didn't know anybody. Nobody was talking about it. So, um, Angie, Miss Angie, um, so were you married before you had your son, or did you get married after? Were you, you know? I got married when he was about 15 months old. Um, okay. I knew I wanted, my husband and I knew that we wanted to be together and be married. Um, We just weren't ready to get married, you know, until when we were ready, we we got married. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, was that his, um, is that his son then, your husband? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just wondering. Okay. Um, so now you said that, um, so you guys were married and, uh, when did you, did you have problems before the marriage or did you start having problems like after you guys got married? Um, no, we, I had, as far as I knew, besides the fits that I threw, Mm -hmm. um, a perfect marriage, you know, everything, the white picket fence and, we both had good jobs. I was a nurse, and he was a carpenter. We both made good money. We had nice things. We had a nice house. We had. We went on vacations. We had a nice marriage. One that a lot of people looked up to and admired. When did you start to see... Any problems in the relationship? Was it between you guys, or did he go through something? He was an alcoholic. Uh, he was an alcoholic uh, pretty much the whole marriage, but not like a mean or not. I don't know. He never it never affected our marriage until oh, he, he after was my dad died. 
What did you say? It never affected your marriage until? After my dad died, he started drinking more. Mm-hmm. And drinking and drinking a lot. And that's why we initially separated um, was because of his drinking. And then while we were separated is when he started using the mask. Mm-hmm. And I did, you know, I tried to do everything I could to help him get off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't, you know, it didn't work. And now I haven't spoken to him in probably almost 10 years. So I couldn't tell you what his life is like now. And my son won't have any contact with him, so that would be the only way I would know. And I I don't know what his life is like now. I don't know why he started the mask. How did your life change when you escaped from him the, the final time? Did... um get more into therapy to work on you? I was devastated that my marriage was over. I didn't understand. I I was confused. I was really, really hurt that Mm -hmm. it had to be over. I felt, you know, that I, I never in my life thought that we would not be together. So it was very devastating for me several years to get over that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's hard. That's true. Did you uh, know anything about his family history? Like if he had been through any abuse or if his family... Yeah, he uh, had been through abuse through his mother. Both his parents were alcoholics. Um, they were set, they were his parents were divorced. Um, his mom died of alcoholism when uh, we were young. We were just twenty one, twenty two years old when his mother passed of alcoholism. Um, and she was very very abusive towards him and his his brothers as well. So he was abused a lot too, physically and emotionally. So did you guys find comfort in in each other? You guys shared those things with each other? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, there was a reason and a purpose for us to be together. I'm just still trying to figure out why we're not. Mm-hmm. So when did when who is the first pers- first person that you told um, about your abuse? When did you start? Was that therapy or was it with your husband? Um, actually, it was a school teacher when I was a senior in high school. Oh, how did that happen? Uh, I don't remember. Um, I remember. I think it was in a um, sociology class. 
and I think I wrote it on a paper or something. I don't know. I didn't expect what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he, you know, he came to me and he got me help. And it was, he, <clears throat> I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was already 18. And so he couldn't do anything about my parents and I wouldn't let him. Um, but he was the first person to take me to therapy. Oh, wow. And was that was that helpful, or did you not want? Did you want to go? I mean, were you? Yes, like, I wanted to go. I knew I needed to, it. Mhm. I knew I needed to deal with what had happened to me. I um, there was an, and it, you know, it happened until I was nineteen. I was actually pregnant with my son the last time my oldest brother tried something with me. Um, So, yes, I always knew I needed therapy. I knew that my whole life. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have a way to get it until he helped me with it. That was really good that you did that. Did you go to therapy? No, what were you going to say? Sorry. No, I wasn't going to say anything. Um, did you go to therapy and keep going to therapy after you had your son? Did you ever go through, like, any postpartum? Yes, I did have postpartum depression. It didn't last real long. Um, but I it started at about when he was about five or six days old. And it just lasted about six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did have to have a lot of help. A lot, a lot of people don't um, uh, really know what postpartum depression is. They might not identify that they have that if they don't really know what the the signs or, or what you experienced. Oh, God, it was just so, I mean, a, a feeling of hopelessness and helplessness and that, you know, despair and the fear that you don't, you're never going to make it. You're never going to matter. Your your life is just pitiful. And all I could do was cry. Hmm. So did you know that's what it was at the time or, or did you find that out? No, I knew that's what it was. I had read about it. Yeah. And, you know, been warned about it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was awful. Yeah. I think you have a way to work through that. You had somebody to talk to. Um, my mom mm-hmm. helped me a lot get to work through it. I don't remember... If I was active in therapy at the time, or if I was, mm-hmm. I I can only remember my mom helping me through it. Yeah. Did that last a long time then? No, it just lasted about six to eight weeks. 
Oh, I wouldn't put just in front of that. <laughs> that's a long time. That's, that's a long it time. It is a long time. It, it, yeah, it really there is. were deep, deep feelings mm-hmm. of hopelessness and despair. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I think that is very difficult. Yeah. You know, the thing, like you said, is, you know, kind of realizing that you need that support and at some point getting the help. When did you start reaching out and taking your recovery seriously? Because I know you you put here that you went to a couple of different doctors. Yeah. Um, I was pretty much always very serious. I think it was after I had my son when I was dedicated to recovery. Um Maybe my son was about a year old or something, and I started taking presents um, that, you know, prescribed by a doctor. Um, But, yeah, I I was always very dedicated to therapy and getting better. So um, did you need help to get off the drugs and alcohol or? um, No. Did get any help for that or did it just seem like once you started dealing with you No, the second I, I found out I was pregnant my mm-hmm. life changed instantly wow it was that's fantastic instant wow yes that's encouraging uh, for a lot of people especially the ones that have children to know that recovery is possible recovery is possible and um and that's good that you were very serious about your recovery and you took these steps and, you know, you're still walking in your healing and your recovery. And that's great. Oh, it's that's- still, I mean, in my life, sometimes it seems like it really sucks. Um, you know, I'm on antidepressants now, still, and anti-anxiety. And, you know, I still have bad PTSD. And major depression and panic disorder and anxiety. I still have all those things. I just, I cope with them a lot better than I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably have more tools. But they're that still there. Gotten. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important for people to understand that these things can still be present, but like I do, I look back on the way I was and all I can tell myself is you come a long way, you know. Um, yeah. I never thought I would have the life I have today because I was so riddled with anxiety and trauma and everything else that I couldn't look anybody in the eye. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't say three words that made sense, um, couldn't put a sentence together, nothing. And uh, um, just to have some tools to be able to cope with life, you know, live life on life's terms. Um I, I function completely differently, and I still have panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And but but I have more yep. tools, and I have more you know life skills, and and some years behind me. I'm 60 now, but but yeah, it doesn't just you know people need to know it doesn't just go away because a lot of people beat themselves up, feel like they back no. or whatever. No, it doesn't you know, go and, away, and you do you know, go backwards that. sometimes. 
Yeah. I still yeah. go backwards. I still go backwards yeah. to the, today. Oh, yeah. I, I do. Mm-hmm. I but get I in depressive moods. If we do go backwards, I think we do because there's just something we missed that, that we needed to learn to, you know, get back on track. And, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we have to be hopeless. Um, a lot of people I've talked to get to that point of hopelessness. I know I did too. Um, and, and just to let people know there is hope, you know, just because you're having a bad day, everybody has a bad day once in a while, you know, but I was having bad days every day and, you know, and, and today things are good, but I still have bad days and I still have times when I go out and something will trigger me that, you know, that nobody else would imagine that would, you know. Like, I was afraid to tell my story because I was afraid it might trigger somebody. And this one lady told me, don't worry about it, just tell your story, she says, because when somebody says the word lobster, I get triggered, and who would know that, you know? Exactly. And and I'm really proud of you for, you know, speaking out and and the work that you do. When NASCAR, I know that you're the uh, Kentucky ambassador, right? Correct. And um, how did you get involved with NASCAR? Um... Through searching the internet for um, help resources and stuff on the internet. So, um, Andy, I had a question for you because you were getting ready to say that were you get were you getting ready to say that you still deal with depressive moods? Oh God, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in one right now. Have been for a few yeah. weeks. Um, I wanted you to to tell us a little bit about who who I've been there, so I understand. How do you deal with that, or how do you even start getting into that? I mean, what happens? How do you get to that place? And how do you cope with that? How I cope is I know that I need minimal distraction in my life. Um, I stay in. I try to do good things for myself inside the house. I watch uplifting TV. I don't watch anything mm-hmm. with, you know, any kind of um, violence or sex or anything like that. Um, I just know I need to protect myself for a while until I feel better. And then I go back out into society like nothing ever happened. I'm proud do you do uh, self-care? I know that, that a lot of people uh, say journal or do artwork or play music. Um, I, I, used, I used to do all that habit. stuff, but I don't anymore. Um, mostly I sleep. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that's when well, you're in you know, the Sometimes the body just right. says, hey, enough is enough and I got to get some rest and that's okay too, you know. Um, yeah, listen to our bodies is because I never did before. You know, I push myself and push myself. I've got physical problems, and I, I just go beyond pushing myself. And I would finally just get to a point where my body just says no more. You know, and and today I can, you know, be more in touch with my body and my emotions and what's going on with like my inner voice. I never really knew I had one, <laughs> or my inner spirit, whatever you want to call it. You know. And uh, um, just, I need time to just be with me and uh, uh, evaluate things or, or just take some downtime. And that's okay. 
think everybody needs that. That's why they call right. it mental health instead of mental illness, because I think everybody needs mental health. Um, as I far as I'm concerned, I feel like I'm blessed that I've been in therapy and that I can say I need to focus on me because there's a lot of people that, that never do focus on themselves, never do, you know, try, try to feel better about the way they feel about themselves. So, um, Miss Angie, I agree with some of I, I agree with the, what you were saying. Also, Miss um, Victoria, Miss um, Angie, I was agreeing with what you were saying as far as when you get like that, you stay away from people and you protect yourself. And I do that. I'm very sensitive when I'm like trying to make sure that I don't go into that place, and I just can't be around people. And I've been noticing that about myself or people who. I know are mean or, you know, catty right. and I stay away. I just stay away. I have to because if not, it will affect me in a lot of negative ways that I don't like. Um, nothing that I would react on besides reacting the feelings that happen within myself. And you have to know what works for you. Everybody's different, just like um, Miss Victoria was saying. You know, she focuses on self-care. You know, me, I I focus, I do some self-care, but I'm mostly peace for me is staying away from the noise. And, you know, yeah. when you get to learn <laughs> what works for you. Yeah, for me, I'm got to stay away. I just get out the way. I don't fight with people, and and, you know. Sometimes too, I I reach out and help other people. Um, oh yeah, I, I help kind of get out of that dark place too. Uh, for me, or I go out and na- nature is really important to me. Um, mm-hmm. I now have a yard that I can go in and I feed my squirrels and you know just like look at things growing and you know mm-hmm. realize that you know there is some good out there, and sometimes we mm-hmm. have to. Uh, really um, purposely look for it because yeah. sometimes and it just gets in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going into the recovery portion of it. And I agree. I think that those are great techniques, you know, for the recovery portion of it. Uh, also, we want people to recognize the signs of depression. You know, when you start feeling like you don't want to be around people all the time, you're, you know, in the room, you're in the dark, you're sleeping a lot. That's like, you know, you're trying to come out of that place and you get stronger, ways to get stronger and to get more, you know, back into are exercising, like you said, writing, um, you know, listening to positive music, healing, you know, things like that. Like you said, self-care, get a massage or a pedicure. I mean, there were times that, like, when I was in my deep depression, I felt like a zombie in my body. I felt like I was, like, I was numb. And so those things, like, you know, we celebrate when we're talking um, to our peers. A lot of times if they're like, hey, I took a shower today, I'm like, hey, great job. You know, because sometimes the littlest thing, getting out of bed sometimes when you're spiritually drained or fighting out of depression trying to get away from from that uh, depressive state. Yeah. I'd say in bed, right. 
and then when I would get up, um, you know, it was like gold star, you know, you got out of bed. Um, I got one thing accomplished today that I really wanted to do. You know, I, I took a shower, I fed myself, you know, I got out of bed. I, you know, really had to like pat myself on the back, literally give myself a hug, you know, and, and tell myself I was a good person, you know, and, and it's not like you got to look in the mirror and go, you're a fantastic person and I love you and you're great. And, you know, I mean, let's be realistic when you're, you know, when you're down, it's really hard to give yourself much praise at all, but to just give yourself, you know, positives for what you are doing because otherwise I was back in bed because it was like, this ain't nothing. I ain't doing nothing. I might as well just go back to bed you know, and, and it, it's a process, you know, some people are like, yeah, I exercise every day and I journal and I this and that, and that. you know, I, I go weeks without journaling and then I go, wait a minute, when I was journaling, I felt better, you know, um, I think I'm going to try to do that once a week or, you know, that on my schedule somewhere because it is helping me. So I think it's, you know, you can't, we just don't change over and Mm-mm. and when you get in that state, no, it, it just, takes time. You know, the smallest thing to somebody else might be a huge thing to you. You know, the world might not think that me getting out of bed is much of anything, but it it's a it's a big thing. You know, it's a big thing when I'm when I'm feeling too good mentally. It's also yeah. important though that you do recognize. When you do need the downtime and oh, to be yeah. able to take it. Take it away. I just have to. It's for my mental health. And you have to know. And, and, you know, people might get offended. I mean, I have a lot of events and a lot of things coming up around this time of year is really hard, you know, for a lot of people who have lost loved ones, who've been through a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's okay. I mean, I'm not like in a depressive state, but I'm in a healing state and I've just been quiet and it's okay. And it's been good for me, actually. I've been able to connect inside spiritually and it's been great. It's been peaceful, right? And so, like you said, you have to be able to recognize what you need at that time. Sometimes you need a lot of activity, a lot of noise, and then being active in like work for recovery, like what um, uh, Miss Victoria was just saying, you know, it's like going and, and trying to get out and doing these things. And then sometimes you just need to chillax and take it easy and rest. And like you said, you catching up on your sleep. Your mind needs to rest, you know. So mm-hmm. what would you, um, I know, and, you know, now we're talking about a lot of different things, but, I don't know if we really, um, I wanted you to tell us and, you know, going back into the story with your, when you were married, um, how he almost burned the house down. He, um, he did succeed in burning the garage down and one of my trucks, um, he was making math. He was making it and his little lab blew up. Mm. And it burned so down our our garage and got my truck. How old was your son at the time? Was, um, was your son living with you at the time? 
Oh, my son, this happened. I, my son was around 20, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Does he still 21, maybe? No, he was in uh, college. Mm-hmm. So he got this grand idea to learn how to how to make math. I mean, mm-hmm. was taught, was he taught by someone, or was he like trying to figure out the code? Because some people they used I don't to know. Learn. We weren't actually together. Um, um, I had sent him. We had a farm down in eastern Kentucky, and. Um, his drinking was so bad at the time, and I needed to take care of my mom, who was still recovering from my dad's death. Um, I asked him to come to go down to our farm and spend some time down there because I couldn't get him into rehab. I begged him to go to um, a rehab for alcoholics, and he wouldn't go. So I had to get him away. So I sent him to my our farm while I stayed with my mom and took care of her and it was during that time that he got on the meth. So I don't really know mm-hmm. So I don't know there when, how he started uh, it. No, I wasn't there. I was in Ohio with my mom. Mhm. And I got a call from the fire department there and uh, got a hold of my son and my son and I both rushed down there. He was nowhere to be found. He had ran. Um, But, you know, um, I... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was still married. I didn't get divorced until about a year or so later when I realized there was no hope of getting him off of it and when I found out he was using the needle I knew then that it was over forever because if it wasn't then I would be putting my own self at risk of him sharing needles and stuff like that sure that must have been very difficult. I can't. I can't imagine. It was extremely that. difficult. It was extremely mm-hmm. difficult because. Yeah. Hmm. What? What's the question? I was wondering how many years ago it was that that you got a that you got a divorce. How many years it's been? Because you said you're still dealing um, with wondering, you know, um, what like what happened, or that you can't believe that. It's you been. Had, gotten divorced eight or nine years um i don't keep track on purpose okay um (laughs) that makes sense eight or nine maybe seven maybe ten i'm not sure right oh i'm just glad you're safe away from that that crazy oh me too you know he tried to get me to use Sure. To do it. Oh yeah, people that are using they don't want to do it alone. They want to bring other people down with them. You know, misery loves company. Yeah, and you know, I was such an advocate against drugs, and you know, raising our child 
you know, I was so scared that I would raise a child that would end up on drugs. Just he knew how I felt about drugs and he did try to keep it from me for a while and he did pretty good. But then, you know, when he got real bad on it, you it's obvious there's no keeping it. Right, right. Yeah. Illness, you know, addiction can be very difficult. And um, unfortunately, that type of level of drug, it really affects your brain, your everything, your everything. Mm-hmm. So definitely, um, unfortunately, he would have to be, he would have to be uh, in program and really like ready to make that change. And, and it's just hard. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody survives addiction. No, no, everybody's bottom is different, and some people's bottom is death, mm-hmm. and that's a hard reality. Yeah, well, I'm proud of. We're proud of you. And, Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah, you done a fantastic job with the with the hand you were dealt. You know, I mean, yeah. you you fully overcome a lot, and you're definitely a thriver, not just a survivor, a thriver. Yeah, I wanted to um, ask you, how did you feel like you were run out of town? Oh, because after my dad died, um, my mom went to my brother's because she was always um, verbally attacking my dad over... You know, what he had done, even though he had admitted and was dreadfully sorry and had been through therapy. And um, my mom still held against my dad a lot, which I don't understand why, because she knew anyway, she should have held it against herself, too, but she didn't. Um so my mom went to my brothers and started to attack them verbally about what had happened to me. And they assumed that I sent her to do this. And they assumed that I was going to tell other people. And they started calling friends and family saying that I was going around spreading lies. But I had never said anything at all to anybody nobody knew so they were protecting their own selves when they didn't have to Hmm. it's you know I wasn't going to tell anybody and then so friends and family that knew my family were like there's no way that that her dad would have done this I've known the family for too long there's no way this stuff would have ever happened she's making it all up so um, a lot of people that I loved for a long time all of a sudden were against me. Hmm. That must have been very difficult. It was extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, not only did I lose my dad, I lost my whole family and everybody I ever loved almost. Mm-hmm. So how are you coping with that today? I mean, um, you know, is it still 
Um, that's there. It still affects me. You know, I still get sad over it because I miss people, but and they don't know the truth, and that's okay. They don't know the truth, and um, if there's ever a chance, you know, I would tell them what the truth is, whether they would believe me or not. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a hand I was dealt, and it's what I've got to live with. But I can't I can't live in the, in the sorrow and despair of it all the time. No. No. You deserve mm-hmm. a wonderful life, the best revenge, you know, is uh, because people that abuse you, they don't want you to be happy. And I was wondering, too, um, I know that, um, the holidays are coming up and stuff, and um, a lot of people that are, um, you know, child abuse survivors um, have difficulty with the holidays. So I was wondering how that that might be affecting you, or if you think it is, or, yeah. or how you could. Yeah, it's sad because you know I have a big family, uh, you know, of aunts and uncles and cousins that I used to celebrate with every year, and now I just. I don't get to. I'm not allowed. I'm not invited. So. So how do you celebrate the holidays? I mean, do you have a way that you can feel good about the holidays and and you know do something good for you that makes you you feel good about the holidays coming up? Well, I'm remarried, so I have a new husband to celebrate with, and um. I will go see my mom and have a dinner with her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sad. It, it is sad, and it's hard. Yeah. It's just a time of yeah. year that you have to get through the best mm-hmm. way that you can. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I me, get, like I, I said, I was in a depressive state now. Um, I am in a depressive state, and it probably will last all the way through the holidays, all the way past my birthday in January. Um, but bir- my birthday's in January too. <laughs> oh, I'm on the ninth. Oh, I'm on the thirtieth. So yeah, I have a hard time through all that time as well. A uh, lot of a lot of memories that aren't the greatest. Um, I try to try to put some, you know happiness in my life like I put up a Christmas tree and um, my former husband lives with me who's, who's my probably my best friend and uh, um, that that's the extent of it which is wonderful as far as I'm concerned and uh, he doesn't normally get into Christmas and uh, although his birthday's on Christmas he usually doesn't get excited about it until the day before so this year I put up a tree and asked him to help me decorate it and and then we sat and listened to Christmas songs for like an hour, you know, and and I think it really changed a lot. Um, but for me, it's just trying to find, you know, like I want to go out and look at lights or whatever, trying to find some things that, that I want to do, you know, that I didn't get to do <laughs> because of the abuse or because of my depression or because of situations of, you know, abuse I was in or, or places I lived at that I didn't have 
the freedom to make choices. And I have to keep reminding myself daily that that I'm growing up now and I get to make choices. I didn't get to make choices when I was a kid. But today, you know, I get to. And that's a wonderful thing that we come to realize that, you know, when we're older, when sometimes a lot of people don't realize they do have choices mm-hmm. now. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Still feel trapped, the old trapped feelings. And I, I yeah. still get into that. And it's like, I don't know. And, you know, all of a sudden this thought comes in my head. It's like, wait a minute. You know, you're reacting the, the way that you did when you were a child and you were trapped. And you're not trapped. Mm-hmm. So what do you want to do with your life? You know, you, you get to do something different. And and mm-hmm. it's like, it blows my mind every time I think that. You know, every time I come to that realization it's not like I haven't been there before. It's just I forget. <laughs> my, you know, I forget where I put my tools. <laughs> That's like brain on trauma. I mean, you're not, you know, probably dealing with trauma right now, but you've been through so much trauma. Like you're dealing with, it's like when you're dealing with narcissistic abuse, um, you know, you're dealing with people that are manipulative, abusive. And so, you know, you turn in like a child again. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just. You you feel weak and then you forget that you do have some power. You know, it's I mean, if somebody's not directly abusing me, my mind goes back there. You know, my mind yeah. is just used to that. You know, used yeah. to that confinement. I guess I don't know what it is, but you know, it it it's just like wait a minute. You know that that isn't happening right now, or you know, but the feelings come over me. And I, I feel like it. I don't have choices, you know, and then, like I said, I have to remind myself and actually go to the point of just sitting in quiet and silence and saying, you know, what is it that you do want? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? I mean, I'm 60. I told my son I'm living to be 100. He says, Mom, I'm not even going to live till you're 100. And I said, well, that's your plan, not mine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I just turned 60, and I have never felt better physically, emotionally, or spiritually my whole entire life. And he says, really? I said, no. I said, I have stability now, which I've never had my whole life, ever. And I said, I just turned 60, and it's my time to start living. And I'm going. That's right, Mom. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Gotta have a balance. Definitely have to have a balance. Um. normal why do you do you still describe yourself you said you describe yourself as serenely abnormal or wouldn't have any clue that I've been abused um Mm -hmm. they don't know that I have PTSD they don't Mm -hmm. really know that I go through the depressive episodes Mm -hmm. um so that's what I mean about the serenely abnormal. A lot, of, you know, a lot of people are used to seeing me pepped up and active, and they wouldn't know. They don't know the things I go through mm-hmm. inside, on the inside. What a struggle it is every day, even when I'm not in a depressive episode. It's still mm-hmm. hard every day. Is still a hard day. 
Well, we thank you for sharing that, too, because, you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people need to hear that, you know, because my sponsor once told me, don't compare your insides to everybody else's outsides, because you just mm-hmm. do not know what's going through, you know. No, you, you don't. You're going through this turmoil, but you don't know. You don't know, because, mm-hmm. you know, I went out and put on this, you know, happy face all the time and everything, and stayed home when I wasn't feeling well. And, you know, she, that was the way she tried to explain to me because she knew how difficult it was and how much I struggled. And I'm not going to say did struggle. I do struggle. You know, I lost mm-hmm. my sponsor three years ago, and uh, it was devastating because, you know, she helped me for 33 years, stay sober and sane, and I always had her to call, you know, and then all of a sudden she wasn't there. But um, but she said a lot of yeah. things that one of those people that continue to teach you even after they're gone, you know, um, mm-hmm. I'll be going through something and her words will come back to me, you know, and uh, um, she once told me, she says, other people's opinion of you are none of your business. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, well, and I, I just didn't understand. <laughs> it's like I kept going back to her. What exactly does that mean? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and she said, because you're reacting just the way other people are either treating you or think of you or whatever, but they don't know you, you know. Right. They don't know you. So, mm-hmm. so Miss Angie, um, I know that, you know, you have been through a lot in your life. You know, from us listening to you, just uh, like what Ms. Victoria was saying, you know, you sound like you have overcome so much and we're so proud of you. And I know we're getting closer to the ending of the show. We have like two min- a little over two minutes. If you can just share some words for parents that maybe um, having a child who may be dealing with abuse or to a child who may be going through abuse or adults that need to notice the abuse, you know, just some some words to raise awareness to this abuse, child abuse. What would you uh, say? Just open your mouth. Say something. Mm-hmm. Do something, you know. Mm-hmm. Even if you know it's going to be drastic, and it's for the the good, the good of the children of the world, the good of the children that are going to grow up to be adults and leave this lead this world. It, we have to talk about it and mm. try to help as many children as we can, mm. and adult children who have never had help. Wow. Well. That's good, because we need to take the stigma off. I mean, I think that's why sometimes people don't talk about it. It's embarrassing. And... Right? What's your thought? Um, I don't know about, I don't, I'm not embarrassed anymore. I used to be. Mm-hmm. But I'm not anymore. Good. Um, I'm open. I'm not afraid to speak my truth, um, and I think more of it needs to be said to more people. Children need mm. to know that adults are here to lean on, and that you know, not to hurt them. We got forty seconds left. Well, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. You know, for sharing that. That was really important, and you've really—I know—you've touched 
if not one person, a few people. But even if you've touched one, you've done your job. And we just thank you for being brave and for sharing your truth. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. I was happy to do it. Like I said, I'm not my normally peppy self. I am in a, okay. in a depressive state right now, but I'll come through it. We hope to have you again. Yeah, we hope to have you, you again. Up, so. That's the important part. You showed up. You know, you stood it up and showed up, and we appreciate it. Appreciate you. Yeah. Oh. Well, you're we welcome. hope to have you again soon. Thank you so Thank much. You. All right. Everybody have a good night. Thank you for joining us tonight. Good night. Thank you.